open up your mouth and give God a praise according to how great he is. Not because of how I feel, not because of my situation, but because of great Jesus. Somebody, if you serve a great God, you want to give him great praise. You're worthy of my praise. In spite of how it looks, Jesus, in spite of everything going on, God, you're still worthy. So glad. I'm so glad that his greatness isn't predicated upon whether or not I feel like he is. I'm so glad that he's still great in spite of how I feel. I'm so glad that in spite of what's going on in my life and, and what's not going right and what is going wrong, he's still great. And he still deserves your best praise. Just because it's not going right, just because you got a bad report, doesn't change anything about the God that we serve. He's still greater, and he's still greatly to be. From the rising of the sun and to the setting of the same, whatever happens in between there, you're still worthy. You still deserve my best praise. If you could get that understanding right there, if you could get that locked into your brain, that it doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter who comes, who goes, it doesn't matter if I'm blessed, if I'm not, you're still worthy. Jesus. Come on, we ought to give him praise right now. Come on, somebody open up your mouth and exalt the King of Kings. Somebody open your mouth and exalt the Lord of Lords. You're worthy, Jesus. You're worthy, altogether lovely, altogether wonderful. Matchless is your name. You deserve all glory, honor, and praise. Alright, somebody go ahead and give him praise according to how good he's been. Go ahead and give him praise according to who he is. Not the way that your situation looks. Not the bad report that you received. Not the struggles or the issues you're going through. But because of who he is. Because he's still great.
Thank you, Jesus. 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 Come on, those burdens would lift off of your shoulders. Those burdens, those weights would lift off your shoulders. If you just turned around and said, God, I'll still give you praise. Thank you, Jesus. You can make your way back to your seats. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm feeling very burdened in my spirit. Very weighed. Brother Leon, whether you know it or not, Confirm the word this morning. I've been praying and fasting all week. I feel like I couldn't get anything. I felt like it was dry. It wasn't until yesterday afternoon that I feel like God dropped it into my spirit. My friends make fun of me and say that I'm an emotional preacher. And then I just want everybody to cry all the time promise that's not the case and I've got I've got some messages God's given me that aren't cry messages but I just can't I just got to minister the way God showed it to me and the way God's given it to me so if you wouldn't mind let's stand for the reading of the word we're reading from the book of John Gospel of John, chapter number 11, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Skipping down to verse number 19. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary, 
Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Lord, if, if, if you would have showed up on time, then the one that you love, Lazarus, wouldn't have died. don't plan on being before you very long this morning. But I want to talk to us for just a few moments on the idea of do you still trust me? Do you still trust me? Can we put our Bibles down and lift our hands? somebody I want to leave changed God let this serve this service is for me Jesus God I need this word God I need it for myself would you speak to me today God would you anoint my ears anoint my mind to receive and do your word God, your word is already anointed. Let it go forth and fall on good soil. Change me, Jesus, from the inside out. Be careful to give you the praise, glory, and honor. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The book of John was written to a largely Jewish audience. In fact, he wrote it mainly for the believers in the churches in Asia Minor. He wrote it in large part to help the believers in the churches that were being ostracized from their communities and from their families for believing in Jesus. It is widely understood by scholars that because of the mounting pressure from religious leaders and even from the Romans, many of the Christian Jews were starting to doubt whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah. They were starting to question whether or not all the miracles they heard about and, and whether or not all of the signs and wonders that they heard about, if they, if they were really, really true, if, if the person that performed them wasn't just a great prophet and just a great man, but if he was really the Messiah. John wrote the letter to confirm to them that what they had already heard and what they had at one time believed from the original Gospels was true. Reminds me of John the Baptist. He lived all of his life preparing the way for the Messiah. And the reward that he receives at the end of it all is death by beheading. He spent his entire life paving the way for the Messiah. Because of John's situation that he found himself in, he found it really hard to hold on to what he knew to be true. If anybody knew Jesus was the Messiah, it was John the Baptist. If anybody was certain that this was the man whom was spoken of by the prophets of old that would come and would not only baptize you with water but with fire, it was John the Baptist. He knew with beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was the Messiah. And yet because of the situation he found himself in, 
because of the fact that he was locked up in a jail cell and there was nobody around and it seemed as if everyone had forgotten about him and it seemed as if all of the miracles were so great except for him they didn't apply to him then it seemed that the questions started to come and the devil started to speak into his mind and say hey maybe that wasn't the messiah maybe you spent all of your life following someone that was crazy Maybe you spent all of your life giving, giving, and, 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 giving and giving to the, the kingdom of God just to turn around and, and be lost forever. Just another story in the books of history. What would you do if you gave your entire life to a cause just to receive death in the end of it? I think of Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, where at the end of it, it talks about the great feats that these men and women accomplished and the wonderful things that they saw and the wonderful things that they did. And at the end of it all, it says, and these all died, having seen the promise afar off, but they never received it. Jesus sends word back to John that the blind received their sight. And the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the, the dead are raised up again, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. I would like to, to remind someone at the offset of this, that no matter the position that you find yourself in, Jesus is still on the throne, and he is still in control. I know it seems dark, I know it seems dreary and that there's no way out, but I've come to remind you that Jesus, the God that you serve, the one in whose name you are, you are baptized in and the one whose spirit you received is still in control. I know the report came back that there's no hope. I know that the banks are saying there's no way we can make this happen, but you serve a God who is still in control of it all. You still serve a God that sits high and looks low. You still serve a God that hasn't forgotten about you. He said, I am Alpha and I am Omega. He said, I am the beginning and I am the ending. He's the author and he's the finisher of our faith. He's the potter and we are simply the clay in his hands. We serve an all-powerful God today. He said all power, not just a little bit of power, not just some power, not certain things, but all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. In the heavenlies and in your situation. In the heavenly realms and in your sickness. In the heavenly and in your disease. And in your finances. The book of John is commonly referred to as the book of signs. And the reason being is because, like I said, this book was written to a Jewish audience that were having trouble with their faith. They were struggling and believing whether or not Jesus was truly the Messiah. And so John gives us six, and some scholars say seven different signs that confirm to the Jewish people that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Whether these signs were miraculous in nature or prophetic, 
some argue. But regardless of that, they had a specific purpose. And that was to confirm and reaffirm that Jesus was the true Messiah. He was the way, the truth, and the life. For the sake of today, we'll say that there were six signs. The first sign is that of Jesus turning water into wine. The second sign is the healing of the nobleman's son. The third being the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. The fourth being the multiplying of the fish and loaves. And the fifth, the healing of the man that was born blind. And the last sign was the sign of Lazarus being raised from the dead. The commonality in every one of these is that the audiences was, were the same in every case. The same type of audience. There was an audience of believers and an audience of non-believers. Jesus was trying to reveal and confirm himself to the believer and the non-believer that he was the Messiah. But one thing one must also understand, and don't miss this, is that he didn't just do it for the non-believer. He didn't just do it so that the feeble and that the weak could survive and they could make it. But he did it for the believer as well. He did it for those that were already baptized in his name. And that were already filled with this Holy Ghost. He, he did these signs and wonders so that people years later could see. So people years later could see and know that he was the Messiah. They didn't, they didn't believe in vain. They didn't have a false hope. They believed. They understood it was true. The first one was at a wedding where there were the people at the wedding and also Jesus' mother Mary. The second was to the household of a non-believer. And his disciples were also there. The third was at the pool of Bethesda. There were people there present from everywhere that were seeking healing and peace. And his disciples were also there. The fourth was on the mountainside with, with 5,000 plus people. And we see, we see the 5,000 plus people and we say, man, what, what a great testimony they had. But we always miss the disciples. We always skip over the fact that they were there as well. As a matter of fact, the very next chapter in John shows us that Jesus was said, I did all of that for you. I did all of that to show you. And they still had trouble believing. The fifth was to the people that knew the blind young man that was healed. And the disciples were also there. The sixth was the Jews that came to comfort Mary and Martha. And it was also from Mary and Martha, believers. All of these signs were miraculous in nature and sermon worthy in their own right. But today, I would like to focus for just a few moments on Lazarus, on the sixth sign. And before anybody says anything, I'm well aware of the circumstances that have transpired in the last 24 hours. And I do not seek this to be a moment of, of, of sermonizing because, and, and capitalizing on an event that has taken place. As a matter of fact, as soon as I found out that Brother Wang had passed, I came into the sanctuary and for hours, I'll be vulnerable, I wrestled with God. I wrestled. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. But as we see in the story, this, this is less about Lazarus and more about their faith in Jesus. You see, both Mary and Martha came to Jesus and told him that had he been there just a little bit sooner, had he not delayed, had he not put it off to a better time, 
that Lazarus would still be here today, that he could have been healed. The first thing I would like to say to Mary and Martha is Jesus does not need to be in any specific place in order to heal someone. Jesus is not limited to space and time like humans are. He doesn't need to be in a place and speak great swelling words and lay on top of someone like the prophet did and, and heal someone that way. Jesus could speak only the word and in the self-same hour they could be healed. And number two, you don't get to set the perimeters of what God should and shouldn't do. Or what he can and can't do. It isn't up to us to decide how a miracle happens. Or if a miracle happens. Or when a miracle happens. But what is up to us is how we respond to the absence of an answer. What is up to us is how we respond in the absence of understanding. In the absence of clarity. How will we respond when Jesus says no? How will we respond when, when Jesus says, I'll wait a little bit? That's one of the worst things to humans that we can hear. When we pray to God and say, God, would you move in this situation? And then silence. As humans, especially in this day and age, we want answers and we want them now. We want things to be done. We want things. I pray. I'm not saying this for me or for myself, but I, I came into this, into this sanctuary multiple times yesterday, praying and seeking God. And three or four times I came in here and heard nothing. I needed direction. I needed answers. I needed God to make to make plain the path that he was setting before me and to answer some questions that I had in my mind that were going on. And yet I heard nothing. Now, if we're not careful, we'll assume that God just isn't talking. And sometimes he isn't. But there are also times where when the earthquake is going on and when the fire is going on and when the thundering and lightning is going on, that he's not in any of those. He's in the still small voice. Sometimes, oft, oftentimes, we look for God in the, in the crazy things that happen in life, in, in the earthquakes, and we say, whoa, this was, this was too intense, God. You must be somewhere in here. Or we see the fire in our life and say, God, you, where are you at? What are you doing in that situation? Or, or we hear the thundering and, the, and the, we see the lightning and we say, God must be doing something over here. While all the while, he's in the still, small voice. Do you trust him, Mary and Martha? Do you trust him enough to simply leave the situation in his hands? Do you trust him enough to believe that he knows exactly what he's doing? Do you have enough faith in him to know that despite the current circumstances and in spite of the current situation that he is still in control? Some things don't just happen without God knowing about it. And they don't happen without his permission. Satan had to present himself before God with the sons of God in order to do anything to Job. And it wasn't until God asked him that, that God actually made the suggestion. And it wasn't until God gave permission that, that Satan could actually act on anything. 
Sometimes I think we get it twisted when we live for God and we assume that things that go wrong in our lives and go wrong in other people's lives is all just Satan running amok and having his free will. But what if sometimes things come to us and things happen because God is allowing them to happen? Could it be that there are things that God is trying to get us to understand and there are things that God is trying to get us to see but because we rely too heavily on him and we think that everything is great and there's, there's no struggle and because I'm living for God, I'm blessed and there's no, there's no issues, sometimes God has to say, okay, I need you. I need you to go and afflict them. He gave Satan permission. We give the devil too much credit sometimes. Make him think like he's in control of anything. He can't do anything without, me, without having a word from God. The devil receives words from God as well. <laughs> he receives instructions from God and he can't do anything without him saying yes or no. God decides when the end of a thing is and when the beginning of a thing is. What doesn't make sense to us is actually very clear to God. Which is why we don't walk by faith. Or we don't walk by sight. We have to walk by faith. That's why you can't look through the eyes of the flesh. And, and determine things in the eyes of the flesh and in your carnal nature and your fallen humanity. You've got to put on Christ. You've got to see through the lenses of Jesus the way that things truly are. It's just like the man in the Old Testament that said, said to the prophet, we're surrounded on every side. There's mountains and there's chariots and horsemen. And the, and the, the prophet looked up to heaven and said, God, would you just open his eyes? Would you just let him see the way that you see it for a second? And as soon as he did, he opened his eyes and saw that there was a host of angels surrounding them. And he came to the realization that many are, there are many more of them that are for us than they that are against us. I know that the odds are stacking up against you. I know that things look like they're impossible. But let me remind you that when there is an impossibility, there is also a God. God of the impossibility. There is also a God of miracles and of signs and of wonders. And if he promised you something, he's able to do it. I believe that with every fiber of my being, that God is able. That God is more. I've seen it happen for myself. I've seen when there was no provision, all of a sudden there was provision. I've seen it happen when there was sick. God raised up the sick. I've seen it happen. I believe it. I know it to be true. And I'll preach it until the day that I die. That I serve a miracle worker. I'll testify to the world that I serve a miracle worker. I'll testify to every person I come in contact with that my God can do the impossible. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever look at your circumstance and your situation and think that this is beyond the realm of possibility and think that this is beyond God's control and this is beyond his pay grade. God can do anything and God can do everything. 
His thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and your thoughts than our thoughts. I believe that God is a miracle worker, first lady. But can I be honest for a second? There are times in my life. There are times in my life when God still says no. And when God, when those impossibilities are stacked against me, it ends up coming out that I didn't win. That I didn't make it out of that. Nobody likes to hear that. Nobody likes to dwell on that. We like talking about miracles. We like talking about the signs and the wonders. We like seeing the healed, the, the, the sick made whole. We like seeing the lepers be cleansed. We like reading about the fish and the five loaves being multiplied between 5,000 and 10,000 people. And, and then another time with 4,000. We like talking about the miracles and signs and wonders. But what happens when Jesus dies on a cross and is laid in a tomb for three days? What do you do then? What do you do then when it's dark for three days? The light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world and I've come into the world that she might see. What happens when the light is shut up in a tomb? What do you do then? What do you hold to then? Where do you turn then? Abandonment a lot of times will mess people up. And they'll start to look at God and think that he's abandoned them. Hey, Jesus said the same thing on the cross. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Where are you? I'm looking in the, in the earthquake, God. And I don't see you. God, I'm looking in the fire. And I don't see you. God, I'm, I'm looking in the thundering and the lightning and, and I don't see you. I can only imagine what was going through her mind, Mary's mind. You see, when, G when Jesus was on his way, it, the word came to Mary and Martha as they were mourning with some of the other Jews. Word came that Jesus was on the way. And Martha got up from where she was and she ran to Jesus and she said to him, if you had just been here, if you had just been here, he would have made it. But the Bible says that Mary sat still. Mary sat there. She heard that Jesus was coming too. But she couldn't move. I imagine in my mind's eyes some of the things that were going through her mind. Betrayal. God, you said you loved him. God, you said we would live and not die. How could you do this? How could you purposefully wait? How could you purposefully not come when we need you? See, that's the problem a lot of times is that we look at it, we look at it again through the eyes of the flesh and say, God, I need you now. But what if God is saying, no, you don't need me now. I need you to trust me now. 
What if God is purposely delaying some things in our life because we keep going in circles and we keep coming back to the same stuff because we can't simply trust him? She must have felt angry. What is it? The five signs of grief? Seven signs of grief? She must have been going through all of these emotions in her mind and thinking to herself, how can I go to Jesus right now? Can't bear to see him. He's supposed to be the healer. And this is supposed to be his friend. And we're supposed to be believers in him. She might have been embarrassed. Telling all her friends and family, Lazarus is sick, but don't worry. I know somebody that can heal him. How embarrassing is that? I'm just being vulnerable with you today. Sometimes it's embarrassing to say, to stand up and with faith proclaim that God's a miracle worker. It's, it's embarrassing sometimes to come up here and sing that you're a miracle worker. And you're the God of miracles and signs and wonders. And declare that he's a miracle worker. And preach faith and preach healing and, and preach all of these things and God still not do something. How can he be a miracle worker and someone who's healed other people? How can he be a miracle worker that's gone out throughout the entirety of Israel? The Bible says that flocks of people came to him. Masses of people. And the Bible says he healed every single one of them. Masses of people. He healed every single one of them. He had time for 5,000 people. But he couldn't make time for Lazarus. He couldn't make time for my brother. He couldn't make time for my sister, for my family. And then to sing... That he's a great God and he deserves great praise. To talk about how he's a miracle worker and not see the miracle. And then to still get up and declare that we serve a great God. That deserves great praise. I want to ask somebody today, what are you holding on to? Who are you holding on to? Do you trust Jesus? Do you still trust him when the thing doesn't happen like the way you thought it should? Do you still trust him in spite of the situation? Do you still trust him? Let me just pray really quick. Can we just lift our voices really quick in this house? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody, open up your mouth and, and talk to him right now. Come on, somebody, open up your mouth. 
God, oh God. Jesus, Jesus. What do you do, Mary? What do you do? What do you do when your brother has died and you've got all these emotions going on in your mind? What do you say? How do you respond? The Bible says that she got up from where she was when she heard that Jesus was near. She ran to him. The Bible says she fell at his feet. She fell at his feet. And she poured her heart out. That's how you respond. That's how you respond when the storm is raging. That's how you respond when the fire is all around you and the earth is shaking underneath you. That's how you respond as you come down and you find Jesus and, and you kneel at his feet and you pour your heart out. See, the issue is a lot of times we try and go through life and we try to carry these burdens and these, and these issues and these aches and pains in our life and we try to do it on our own and think that we can somehow manage and get through and, and, and put on a brave face every time we come to church and, and talk to people and, and don't let people know how, how you're really feeling or what's going on at home. And all the while, Jesus is making his way to you and he's waiting. He said, if you'll just give me that burden, if you'll just cast your care, Bible says that his burden is easy and his yoke is light. There are some people in this house. God spoke to me very clearly before we, before, before during pre-service prayer. There are still people in this house. You come to church. You've been coming to church. You've been faithful to the house of God. You've been faithful to the things of God. And yet there are still things in your life that you're not willing to give up. Because of fear of what, ha what happened in the past or what didn't happen in the past. I don't claim to be a prophet at all, but I know exactly what God said. Trust issues. Trust issues. God, don't, don't dig deep in my life. I'm not ready to give up those, those hurts. I'm not ready to give up that pain quite yet. I'll come to church and... And I'll be involved in sign team and I'll be involved in the music ministry and I'll go on outreach and I'll tell the world my testimony. But God, there's just some things that I don't trust you with. There's some emotional parts of me that I keep hidden deep that I can't quite give over to you yet because I've got some trust issues from some things in the past. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's in control of everything? Do you trust that not a sparrow falls out of the sky without him knowing about it? Do you trust that if he could dress the lilies that he wouldn't take care of you? Do you trust him? 
Do you trust him enough to, to leave some things in his hands and, and to give over some pain and some hurt to him today? Do you trust him enough to say, God, I'm, I, today is the final day that I'm dealing with this. Today is the last day that I go through life with this burden of, of guilt, of pain on my shoulders. Do you trust him enough to carry that? Do you trust him enough to carry that? To come down and to lay it at his feet and say, God, I know it's past due. I know it's dead. And I don't know why you waited. I don't know why you didn't heal him. I don't know why you didn't save them, Jesus. I don't know why you let them go to hell. I don't know why you didn't do this or you did do this, God. But I'm laying it at your feet today. God, I'm laying it at your feet today. As we're standing all over this house with lifted hands and with a posture of worship, I wonder if anybody could ask yourself in this place an honest question. Do you trust Jesus? And do you still trust him, saint of God? Do you still trust him in spite of how it looks? Come on, somebody, with your hands lifted in this house. Somebody turn that over to Jesus right now. Come on, somebody lift up your voice in this house. Let those tears fall from your face. God, I trust you. God, I trust you, even though it looks like it's not working out. God, even though it looks like it's like it's never going to happen, God, I still trust you. God, I'll still be faithful. God, I'll still give my tithes and offering. God, I'll still be involved. Jesus, I'll give you everything. I trust you, God. I trust you. time that some of us have a heart-to-heart -heart with God. It's time that some of us laid some things down at the altar. It's time that some of us had a true confession with Jesus and just let him know exactly how you feel and let him know exactly what's going on in your life. Somebody open up your mouth and pour it out to him. Somebody lay those burdens down. Somebody lay it down today. Worrying how the story ends And I let go and I let God Let God have His way That's when things start happening When I stop looking back back then When I let go and I let God Let God have His way you just need to release it. There's some people that need to release it in this house. You've been holding on with a tight grip. You've been holding on with a tight grip and with a posture. With a posture that says, I don't trust you, Jesus. I can't trust you with this. Not yet, God. Today is the day. Today is the day that you need to let it go. Today is the day that you need to lay it down on the altar and say, God, I trust you again. I trust you with my life, Jesus. I trust you, oh God. Worrying how the story ends when I let go and I let God, let God have his way. That's when things start happening. When I stop looking 